uh, why don't we throw up the first slide of my message up or on the screen? No, that's not the first. There we go. All right, you see the woman with the goose on her head. You know, I had to put something like that up there because of when we first started in, in ministry, you know, we tried a number of different things. We had overhead projectors that we'd put stuff on, but then the age of PowerPoint came, right? And we were moving up and moving on to new technology, and so PowerPoint presentations were just something we had to move into. And so we started using them on Sunday morning for our messages, and we had this person who we'd send our bare, ba- our bare bone facts and slides and points and scriptures on standard white slides, right? And they dress them up, beautify them, add interesting stuff to each slide. Um, and so because it was new, they were exploring and pushing the envelope on this new technology, right? Does some of you remember when we first started with PowerPoint? Can anybody remember what it was like? No, see, very few remember. Some do, but some may not. We soon learned we went too far. (laughs) Imagine that. We went too far with it. Because all of a sudden, these basic presentations that had the facts and the scriptures in white, and you could see them and you, you, you could get the information, pretty soon, all of a sudden, slides start fading in all of a sudden from nowhere. And then they would fade out from nowhere. And then words would dance in. Boof! And they go in the slot with the underline, and words would dance out. Boof! And then we added sound effects. Boing! Or bam! Or whatever. And, and then these words would come in with different colors. And as rainbows sometimes. And we added all sorts of effect that pretty soon, as we sat down and talked together, people are going, you know... Maybe we should go back to white slides with black lettering or, or just a few things because, you know, what, what was happening was something we didn't want to see happening. People began to pay attention to the wrong things. Imagine that. The presentation was what they were focusing on because everybody was anticipating what the next slide would be how the next word would come in, how the next word would go out. So much so, they couldn't even remember the scripture that was there. Or they couldn't remember the point that was made because of all this presentation stuff. And they said that it was really kind of making it hard to listen, hard to meditate on the truths of scripture because they were distracted because the presentation was so amazing. It was so entertaining. It was so different that it it caused them to be focused on it. We were amazing. Isn't that interesting? We were entertaining. Isn't that what you want? You don't want to come to church and not be amazed. You don't want to come to church and not be entertained. Because that's, isn't that, what else is there if you don't have that? Right? Right? And so, I'm here to tell you this morning, that kind of mentality, that kind of of need, or that kind of getting used to that kind of habit, that's going to cause you and me to miss the gospel. It's going to cause us to miss the message of the messages. 
it's going to cause us to miss the presence of the Lord Almighty who gathers when we gather in his name because we're distracted. See, signs and wonders and miracles, they're intended to confirm and they're intended to support the truth of the gospel and the presence of the kingdom of God. I'm here to tell you, but they can also be very distracting for people. Somebody say amen to that. They can. They can be distracting for believers. They can even cause us to pervert the good news of Christ and to focus on the wrong things and to seek to be entertained and even idolize signs, wonders, and acts of power over the one who graciously gives us those things. We start focusing on them, and we want them instead of the one who brings them. And I'm here to tell you, we're going to look at a scripture this morning, but this is what happened with Simon, the sorcerer. He was not churched. He didn't know Jesus. Uh, We're going to read about him in Acts chapter 8. He saw the signs that Philip was doing. Remember, Philip was a buddy of Stephen. Stephen had gotten martyred, but Philip was also a man who had an ability to teach and preach the gospel. And God did signs and wonders and miracles through him as well. He was just a deacon. He was just one of the guys who helped out with food with Stephen, but he was apparently a powerful speaker and teacher as well. And so God was using him, and we're going to find out that when he came to this town in Samaria, uh, Simon saw the signs that Philip was doing. Guess what? Simon was a sorcerer, and he saw that, that Philip's signs, they were better than his own miraculous signs. So he got excited. And anybody would be excited if you were into that kind of stuff. And so he followed Philip around. He wanted to imitate Philip. But but Simon never saw the ugliness of his sin. Simon never saw his need to repent of his life. He never saw the glory of God as the great one who, who poured out grace and forgiveness. And he makes a person clean and a person whole. He didn't see that. He saw the sign. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 8. And we want to read this portion of Scripture. And we want to consider what we need to do to avoid kind of a misplaced, making something else the object of our faith, rather than the true thing and the true deal. So let's read about Simon here. It says, starting in verse 9, Now for some time... A man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city, and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention, and they exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. So man, this guy had it made, didn't he? He had a following, and people were were totally astonished by him. And so it goes on. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And looky here, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Wow, they sent sent the heavy hitters there. Going to the Gentiles because the gospel was moving now from the Jews to the Gentiles. 
It was following in the Lord's footsteps. And so they sent Peter and John to Samaria. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there because that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. We're not going to really get into that, this message, but that is a whole other message that's coming. And it keeps going. When Simon, though, saw this, that they laid hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands of the apostles, he offered them money. See, that's what you did for information during that time. That's what you did in the magic and sorcery gig. And Simon was a sorcerer. He saw this power. He saw them display it, and he offered them money. Wow. <laughs> wow. And he said to them, Give me also this ability, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I want this power. I want this ability. Peter answered, May your money perish with you, because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Is that how you talk to people in the church? Who've been baptized? Who have believed? That's how apostles in an early church, this church in Samaria, could have easily been undermined by false theology and false faith. And Peter took care of business to, to make things very clear. Didn't Peter one time have to, didn't Jesus have to take care of business with Peter one time to make things very clear for him? Because he was a strong personality and he was getting off. So much so that Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, because you are not thinking as God thinks. You're thinking and looking as man thinks. This is God's will for my life and I'm going to walk in it. Well, Peter came back at Simon similarly and says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. You are not a part of it. Some people aspire to be a part of ministries, and their, their hearts aren't right, and their minds aren't right. And Peter said, no, you are not on our page, and you're not, gonna, and you're not a part of this. So you back off and back down. And then he goes on, and he says this, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. See, Peter can see his true heart. Peter can see his true heart condition and catch what what Simon says. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And after they had, they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. And people believed. Because the gospel was on the move. And it was changing things. Wow. Misguided ideas of biblical faith, of what biblical faith really is and faith that saves you is. What is it? We want to take a look at some things 
some things that, that cause us to put the light on how we need to avoid this misplaced, this, this false faith that Simon had. And here's some things that we need to know about Simon. First, there is a faith that is believing. Okay, I want you to get that. There is a faith that is believing. The Bible says that demons, they believe that Jesus is Lord so much that they tremble. But do they ever repent? Are they saved? No. See, and for you and me, some of us, we don't really tremble when we say the name of Jesus or when we think about Jesus. We don't honor him with that kind of magnitude in our life. We don't, we don't, we're not that concerned that we're really on his page doing his thing. Because we think, well, his grace just covers everything and it was no big deal, so I don't have to worry. But we're talking the Son of God, the Almighty. Boy, we ought to have some sense of respect and honor in, in the presence of God Almighty, and especially with all that he's graciously done on our behalf. Right? So there is a faith. There is a faith and there is a believing that does not save. And it does even rise in the presence of true preaching and true miracles. They can be happening, and that faith and that belief can be there. And you know, I'm here to tell you, I experienced that once early on before I accepted Christ. Man, I experienced having that belief in the midst of preaching, that belief in the midst of miracles that were occurring, but it did not save me. I had never gone in my life. I only went to church a few times. It would have been a Catholic church and a Nazarene church growing up. But I went to a Southern Baptist church this time. I was going to go fishing with a friend. This friend had to be, happened to be Southern Baptist. That's what he was, but he sure wasn't following Jesus because I didn't know anything about Jesus, and we were both doing things to get in trouble and that kind of stuff. So somehow he said, well, if we're going to go, we've got to go to church with my dad. And then after that, we can go fishing. So I said, okay, I'm in. I'll do that. That'll be cool. Never been to a Southern Baptist church. Oh, my gosh, I loved it. I, I loved it because the, the preacher was like, and God! And he would scream, and he'd jump, and he'd do this all the time, and that all the time. And I thought, this is awesome. This is great. I got a kick out of it. And I was actually getting something out of the message. And so then they put the music on, you know, and some Baptist churches, they are big on altar calls, right? And so I didn't know that at the time. And they start playing that song and singing that stuff. And the pastor goes, and, and you know if you're a sinner. You know your heart's not right. And if Jesus is tugging on your heart right now, you need to respond. You need to accept him as Lord and Savior. And I'm thinking, ah, oh, I feel something. I feel something going on in my heart. But I'm looking around, I don't see anybody doing anything else. I see my, my friend over here, he just messed around with a note. He's not even enamored like I am, because I guess he's used to it. And so I'm standing there singing, should I go up? Is this the Lord? Should I accept Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is this what I should do? Shoot, I'm a seventh grader, but I'm getting it. And I'm, and I'm going back and forth with this. Well, service gets over and I don't do anything. Because I figured, I don't see my friend really concerned about anything, and nor is his dad concerned about anything, and so I don't do anything. We get in the car, and I have to talk about it, because that's the way I've always been, kind of. And so I go, shoot. I go, I need to ask you something. 
During that prayer and during that song, and the pastor said, is Jesus tugging on your heart? I felt something tugging on my heart. I felt like I should repent. I should confess my sins. I should accept Jesus, Lord and Savior. And I go, what should I have done? Did I, did I mess up? Did I not do what I was supposed to do? And you know what my friend's response was? Oh, oh yeah, I've felt that too many times. He goes, you just resist it. It goes away. It goes away. And, we, and you can just go about your business. And you know what happened? It did go away. And we went around our business. And I often say, I went on a, a three-year terror of sin and of all sorts of things that, thank God, I was saved from. I was saved ultimately. But what if I had put my faith in Jesus then? Would I have had to gone through that, go through that? Maybe not. Maybe not. And maybe I was never going to be saved. Maybe, and let, but God's grace kept after me. I just had too many people praying for me, and so do you. See, in our passage, in our passage, man, Philip was preaching the good news of Jesus. I don't know if Philip was doing stuff. He might have been, Jesus! He might have been doing that. He might have been, turn from your wicked ways. He might have, he might have done some of that, but I don't know, maybe not. But Philip certainly was showing and demonstrating that the kingdom of God was real by causing people to come. You come, and I'll lay hands on you and pray for you. We'll, we'll ask the Lord to give you a word of wisdom, or he'd give a word of wisdom, or we're going to pray for you to be healed in the name of Jesus. And we're going to do this and that, and things were happening. People were being delivered from impure spirits. They were shrieking and leaving people, and they were delivered. People were being healed, and so they're all watching this. And it confirmed his message. And in verses 12 and 13, it tells us that Simon heard Philip's preaching, and he witnessed those miracles, and he saw what was happening in the name of Jesus, and he believed he was baptized. But it also, Luke points out and he, in verse 13, and he makes sure he tells us this, that after Simon's baptism, he followed Philip everywhere, astonished. By the great signs and miracles he saw. That's all you get. He doesn't say anything else. Should tell you and me there's something else going on there. See, if, if I were to tell you when I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and was baptized, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be focusing on the signs and the miracles and being astonished. I'd be focusing on the Lord I met, the sin I was forgiven of, how it was made brand new, how it was broken and made new, and how I had a new Lord in my life that was not me, because I was Lord before. That's what I would be telling you. Here, he's astonished. He's running around. He's a groupie. I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. Then something happens in verses 18 through 23 that really reveals Simon's true colors, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, he offered Peter and John money and said, give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I'm a power junkie. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. And then he told him, you know, your heart is not right before God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord and hope that he'll forgive you. He'll forgive you 
where I see that your heart is full of bitterness and captive to sin. See, Simon had a belief, but it was not a saving belief. He hadn't repented. He hadn't received forgiveness. He hadn't been truly converted. His heart was not right with God. And according to Peter, Simon was still full of bitterness and captive to sin. And it shows that he wasn't redeemed or he wasn't born again yet. It shows that. And my concern is, is that we have people that have heard the gospel so many times and they go, man, I believe, but they've never repented of their sins. They've never confessed their sins to the Lord in prayer or before other people. And they've never said, Lord, you come and become the new Lord and master of my life because I surrender all. They've never done that. They just thought that simply by being in a church, I'm going to get it by osmosis. <coughs> simply because my family trusts in Jesus, I'm just going to be saved. It doesn't work that way. There comes an age of accountability, young people. And after that age of accountability is over, whichever, wherever it is, and everybody thinks it's different, you're going to have to stand on your own two feet. And either you're a disciple and follower of Jesus or you're not. And, that's be, and if you're going to be, it's because you have confessed your sins. You have been broken over them. You have repented of living your life one way. And you're now following the Lord of the universe. No longer a passion or a slave to your passions or your sins, but you're a slave to Christ. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but it doesn't mean you're growing and you're going a new direction. That's the gospel. See, in tradition... And many historical accounts from Justice Martyr, Irenaeus, and Jerome, you find out that what tradition tells us about Simon is he never did repent. He actually became a heretic um, and, was, and never became a true Christian and continued on in his magic and his power search. The same kind of faith is found in other places in Scripture, and Jesus identified it. One place is in the four soils of the parable he told in Luke chapter 8. Do you remember that? You can go back to Luke chapter 8. It's not going to be on the, the screen, but you need to read that parable. Obviously, in the first soil, it's, it's just hard as rock, so the evil one's going to come, it says, and take away the seed of God's word. But then there are two more soils. The second and third soil, though, these soils, they receive the word of God, the gospel, but the second soil has no depth, and so it receives the word with joy. It believes it for a while, but when times of testing come, it falls away. When times of testing come, it falls away. It does not endure. It does not endure. Then there's a third type of soil. That soil says that it's full of thorns. And, and so it's got things that choke out the seed, the seed of God's word, it says this person's faith doesn't mature and doesn't last because the scripture says it's full of worry. That's a weed. It's full of the pursuit of pleasure. That's a weed. And it's full of the pursuit of money and the deceitfulness of riches. That's a weed. Do we see those things as weeds? They're weeds. And it says that those weeds can come up, choke that word, and guess what? It doesn't last, and it doesn't mature. 
I hope I'm not making anybody too nervous. You can keep your faith alive. You can have a faith that is saving. But you can also have a faith that is saving, and then you end up punting everything and losing everything you had and letting that faith die because it never endures to the end. The Bible tells us they who endure to the end will be saved. It doesn't say they who are perfect to the end will be saved. Because as Jason said earlier, God's relentless grace chases us. God's relentless grace comes after us. But come on, we're partners in this. I, I remember when, when the young little girls in kindergarten used to chase me. I let them catch me. Come on, they were cute. There's nothing wrong with wrestling on the ground with a cute little girl in kindergarten. Right? And so then when they threatened me, like, well, I'm going to kiss you. I go, oh, no, don't kiss me. But I tried to get ready for the kiss, you know. Because I was no dummy. See, we've got we to be wise about this. God of the universe is chasing us. Let's let him catch us. And let's stay, in, let's stay in partnership with him so that we can stay in salvation that will last. See, the Apostle Paul mentions this kind of faith also in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2. He writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed and your faith has been in vain. There's a such thing as vain faith. We don't want that kind of faith. So I think it's apparent that Simon's faith is believing. It wasn't saving faith. It stopped short of repentance. It stopped short of giving Jesus control of his life. It stopped short of being made a new creation and, and learning what it means to fellowship in the Spirit. It stopped, it stopped short of that, that miraculous movement and work of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to encourage you, body, don't let your faith stop short. Don't let your faith stop short from those things. Because that's saving faith. Do you have saving faith? Well, here's, I'm going to go through the next three real quick, okay? Praise the Lord. I'm going to try. What else do we have to avoid? We have to avoid this. Simon was a sorcerer. That meant he dealt in supernatural power. Um, and he was in that realm. And he did that before he ever heard Philip preach or ever heard Jesus Christ. He used his magical arts for a long time in Samaria and he amazed the people. And Simon knew real power when he saw it. Do you know there is real power out there other than God's power? Can somebody, there is. There is. There's demonic power. There's power of momentum. There's power, there's power of intellect. There's power of money. See, there's a lot of different powers. You know, I'm not a physicist, so I can't talk about some of those kinds of powers. But there's a lot of different types of power that are around us. And, but Simon knew real spiritual power when he saw it because he was dabbling in these things. Therefore, when Philip came to town, not only preaching, but performing signs and healing people and casting out demons, Simon knew... And he could tell this power was real. This was stronger than his power. So he's ready. He goes, I'm going to switch sides, man, because I want to get a hold of this power. And uh, 
So he tried to buy it with money. And he wanted it badly. So he was willing to give a lot. The, uh, and here's the, the point, the second point. The object of Simon's faith was misplaced. He was focused on the power and not the source of the power. Because he didn't seem to care, really, about the source of the power. I just want the power. And he was focused on the gift of power rather than the giver of the power. See, that's important to see that distinction. So Simon believed in power, didn't he? The power of supernatural signs and wonders. He didn't believe in the Lord Jesus or the glory of his generous grace or sacrificial love. He didn't believe in that. He believed in the power of the supernatural. And as true believers in Jesus, we want to be careful about clouding our thinking and our hearts by making statements that inch us closer to elevating the gifts of God and to elevating the blessings of God or avenues that God has given us to grow in our knowledge of him, elevating those things to idol status. Because every good gift that God has given us can, can become an idol. And we can take it too far by focusing on it. And that's what Simon was doing. In some circles, I hear people make statements like, I believe in the power of prayer. Maybe you've made that statement. I know I've made that statement. Hey, I'm here to tell you, I don't believe in the power of prayer. I, don't, I hope, and if I say that, you tell me, Kelly, you need to get your theology right. I believe in the power of the one we talk to in prayer. That's who I believe in. I believe that prayer has no power and no ultimate real power to do good unless you are talking to the God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you're talking to Him, there's power. And because your heart is right with Him, there's power. But if your heart isn't right, and you're not talking about Jesus, go ahead, you pray whatever you want to pray. You go ahead and cast whatever spell you want to cast out there. I'm going to rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to know that greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world. And I'm going to take authority to bind it in the name of Jesus. Because there is no power like Him. But it's because of Him. Amen? So I believe in the power of Jesus, not the power of prayer. But we need to be careful to make those kinds of distinctions. The object of Simon's faith was the power of signs and wonders. Some of us have gotten enamored with signs and wonders. That's what he believed. And he believed that Philip was a real miracle worker wielding this real power. He didn't doubt it. He was not a skeptic. And he was ready to leave his life as a magic worker to join Philip and use that power but the object of his faith was misplaced. And we don't want to do that ourselves. We can do it. It's easy to do it. But we don't want to do it. Here's the third thing. The foundation and experience of Simon's faith was simply amazement. Not brokenness over sin. Not brokenness in being lost. Not humble gratitude and trust in the Lord Jesus to save him and give him eternal life. No, it was amazement. I want you to look how Luke makes this plain to us. He uses that word amaze three times in our passage. Simon had been, he had amazed the nation of Samaria with his magic for a long time. And then it says that Simon had amazed them with a long time, with his magic. And then it says that the, when he saw the power that Philip came, 
seen the signs and great miracles performed, Simon himself was amazed. He was amazed. I'm here to tell you I'm so tired of that word. It was amazing. Oh, that was so amazing. I am. I, I'm just, I'm tired. What Simon had been producing in Samaria by his sorcery, he was now experiencing himself. What, through, through Philip's miracles, he was amazed. And amazement at supernatural power is not saving faith. Believing that super power, supernatural power is present and being amazed by it is not the true experience of faith. See, people in our culture, even followers of Jesus, seem at times to be addicted to the search for the spectacle, right? Some of us learned about that in a movie that was put out recently. We love the spectacle. We're drawn to the spectacle. We can't look away. And that's what we're addicted to and searching for. The word amazing is everywhere we turn. Everywhere we turn. And if, and, and if it's going to get your participation, it's got to be amazing. Right? It's got to be amazing. If it's going to get your participation. So signs and wonders are the PowerPoint of, uh, of the spiritual realm pointing us to Jesus. But we're getting stuck on the PowerPoint. We're paying attention to the PowerPoint. See, true faith comes when we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When we See, we can have all these spiritual experiences we want and be amazed at the PowerPoint, but until the Lord Jesus himself shows up, until we put our faith in him, it's not true faith. And, and, and that's another concern I have, to be honest with you, in the 21st century. Oh, why do you go to church? Oh, the music is so amazing. That's why I go to church there. You're stuck on the PowerPoint, not Jesus. Oh, the fellowship is so good. That's why I go there. Oh, is that really why you go to that church? Yeah, the fellowship. What about Jesus? Oh, that message was so great. Let's talk about the points of that message. And let's, let's, let's pick it apart a little more. And let's go a little deeper. Without ever a thought of the person it's talking about. Or that's behind the truth. We can come into church on a Sunday morning... And we've never looked for Jesus. We've never stopped to listen to Jesus. We've only just gone through the PowerPoint. We've gone through the amazing experience or the under-amazing experience. And we miss Jesus. And we miss putting our faith in Jesus. That's what Simon was doing. Simon had, was all around it. All in it, but missing it constantly. Missing it constantly. Wow. So that was a problem, wasn't it? What was the source of Simon's real problem, though? Was it just that he was seeking after amazement and seeking after power? No, verse 20 tells us uh, what his real problem was. Peter said, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. Uh, you have no part or share in this ministry, and here's the problem, because your heart is not right before God. Your heart is not right. 
You've never repented, so repent of your wickedness. You've never prayed to the Lord, really, in repentance, so pray in hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And you never admitted that your heart is full of bitterness and captive to sin. You haven't confessed that. Simon's heart needed changed. That's what real faith is about. It's about our heart being changed. That's what it really means to come before the Lord in worship is to expose your heart. You know, it's for it to be changed. Simon was focused on the spectacle of signs and wonders. He was focused on willing power to affect them. He was focused on the PowerPoint of spirituality, if you will, not the message or the person behind the message. And we can get like that too. We need the Lord to deal with our heart. And by his response to Peter's rebuke in verse 24, it shows that he's still not ready to repent or ready to humble his heart before the Lord. Because what did he say? He said, pray for me so that nothing you said would happen to me. Why didn't he go to the Lord in prayer? Why didn't he say, pray with me? He said, you pray for me. Because I don't want this to happen to me. He wasn't willing to pray himself. Wow. It was a heart problem. And it's always a heart problem. When we come to worship on a Sunday morning, when we come into each of our days, we got to surrender our hearts to Jesus. And if we have surrendered our heart to Jesus, then we will want to surrender our heart to Jesus and say, Lord, you are Lord today. Lord, I'm going to keep following the repentant path today. Lord, I'm going to, if there's any hurtful way in me, show me that, and I'm going to confess it to other people and ask them to pray for me that I might be healed, and I'm going to move on in your spirit to follow you because that's saving faith. We ever let rebellion, bitterness, sin take control of our hearts, it's going to choke us out and choke out our real faith. We know how to get rid of that and make our hearts right. It's by coming clean, confessing, and repenting, and receiving. So, in closing, with this said, there is a false faith that does not save. There is an object of faith. Um, And this false faith, its object is the power of signs and wonders, not Jesus and his glory or his grace. And its nature or experience is amazement. It always needs amazement. It always wants amazement to be able to survive. Not brokenness for sin. Not humble trust in Jesus. Um, And its root is always in an unrepentant heart. A heart that's not fully Jesus. A heart that's trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church or in Christ. Can't do that. Can't serve two masters. It doesn't work. So with all that said, here's the deal that you don't want to do. And I'm going to kind of leave it at this. You don't want to do what I did after I'd been in the Lord for a few years and was running into believers that were misusing spiritual gifts and were fixated on signs and wonders to the point that they perverted the gospel and almost had a friend lose her faith because of it. And I had to kind of be a part of God's plan to restore her. This is what I said in prayer, and you don't want to pray this prayer. Well, if these spiritual gifts, if they're going to cause this kind of confusion, if if these signs and wonders are going to be liable to such abuse and misuse, I'm I'm just going to put them on the shelf. 
I'm going to essentially ignore them and avoid them and stick with the gospel and move on. I'm not going to get caught up with them. So I prayed that prayer for the Lord. He didn't let me, he didn't let me stay there very long. Because essentially the Lord kind of came back, and, and this is what he essentially said. This isn't word for word, but this is how it resonated in my heart. There is power demonstrated that is not from me, and you know that. There are people using gifts and demonstrating signs and wonders that are not from me. Nevertheless, why would you ever deny or avoid any gift or an avenue of grace that I have given you to know me? Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever ignore or avoid any avenue that I've given you for experiencing my kingdom or being a blessing to other people? Why would you put those things on the shelf? And, I, and the Lord asked me, that. I knew the answer. Well, I'm not gonna, and I wouldn't. Because that's a sure way to quit growing in Christ. It's a sure way to quit going forward. It's a sure way to kill faith because I'm trusting in my own evaluations, not the Lord's. And it says, don't let the abuse and misuse shut you up. Don't let the abuse and misuse hold you back or snuff you out or snuff my life light out. Let it shine. And so I had to choose by faith to let it shine. Even though I took abuse for that because of charlatans around. Even in the church we have biases because of misuse and, and abuse so that certain gifts we just don't want to see practiced. Well, I'm not going to throw it in your face, but I'm going to keep practicing what God has called me to. And I do it in wisdom. And we're going to keep laying hands on people as God directs to be healed. And we're going to keep casting out demons in the name of Jesus where they need to be cast out. And we're going to speak in prayer languages and in tongues if God gives it. Because we're going to do what Paul says, don't forsake these things. And don't clamp them down and put them out. Amen? Amen. We're going to do things honestly that God has given us because we're not groupies. And we're not going to be enamored by signs and wonders or miracles. Because we love the one who brings them and gives them. Signs and wonders and, and miracles and spiritual gifts can become spectacles. That's really true. So to be fair, that, that is true. And all different forms of our witness as a church can become a spectacle. From the sermon, to the facility, to the programs, to our singing, to prayers, whatever. But we got to keep calling people to listen to the voice, to experience the heart and presence and hands of the one who's behind these things, Jesus. I want you to know Jesus, and I want Jesus to make your heart right as he makes my heart right. Let's put our faith in Jesus, because only Jesus can truly heal. Only Jesus can truly save. Is that our focus? Is that our experience this morning? I want you to stand with me as we close. Is that your focus? Is that where your faith is this morning? Is that where your experience is of him? Focusing on Jesus. Not focusing on the people around you. Not focusing on any of the witness, but focusing on Jesus. Because there's power in the name of Jesus. 
Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for this example in Scripture that you gave us. We're thankful that the the faith of the new church to the Gentiles wasn't marred uh, by this deception and this perversion that came early on as the gospel was moving from the Samaritans and, and through the rest of the world to the Gentiles. We're so grateful it didn't stop. We're grateful that Peter and John said it right. We're grateful that Philip came and preached the whole gospel. And so, Father, we want to be focused on you, and we want our faith to be you and you alone, because we know that that's the only faith that saves. Help us as your people to keep our eyes on you. Help us as we read your word to listen for the voice of your spirit, to look for your presence. Help us, God, as we pray to follow you, that we don't just pray to a ceiling or don't just pray words, but actually pray to you and communicate with you and receive back. God, help our service, help our ministries, help our gifts to all be in response to your grace and your guidance and the guidance of your spirit within us, that we would never make those things an idol or never make them the reason for our faith, that it would just be you. And Father, make us equipped and powerful to lead people to you, Jesus, and to a relationship with you because we've come into that relationship with you. We know people need Jesus. They need the truth of the gospel. They need to be forgiven and set free. They need to know that their small story is a part of a big story. And God has a plan, and God is saving the world. And he's not slow in coming, but he's going to come back, and then it'll be a whole brand new season, and they need to be ready for that time. So God, make us effective in sharing that gospel with those around us. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. So we thank you and we bless you, Father, this morning for your love, and we bless you for the insight of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, amen.